just to remind us of what it's about. Memorial Day weekend is when we honor our lost veterans, ones who fought and died in war. And, and that's truly what it is. It's not to celebrate veterans, and, and that's why we won't have all our veterans stand this morning, because that's not what it's about. So honor those who lost their lives. And it actually started after the Civil War as Declaration Day. They started then the tradition of decorating the graves and the tombstones of the soldiers that fought in the Civil War. And it kind of grew out of that. After World War I, it kind of grew a little bit more and more until finally the government established it as a national holiday. And so that's what we're doing today. And so in honor of that, I want to ask that everyone stand. Now, if you cannot stand, please don't feel like you have to. But I'd like everybody can. Would you please stand with us this morning? And what I want to do right now in honoring those who have lost their lives, honoring those who gave their lives for us, for the freedoms we get to enjoy, what I want us to do this morning is we're going to take a moment of silence, and then I'm going to end in prayer just to honor those and remember the families who have lost the loved ones in war. So let's just take a moment, would you, with me? Father, we are so grateful for the men and women who fought on our behalf. I'm so grateful for the men and women that took my place, Lord, that, that gave their lives, Lord Jesus. So right now, Lord, as we remember this Remembrance Weekend, Lord God, this Memorial Weekend, I pray, God, that those families who have lost loved ones due to war, I pray that you'd be with them this weekend. As everybody's celebrating, their hearts are torn this weekend, Lord. I pray that you bring them peace, bring them comfort this weekend, Lord, God, as they remember their loss and how much it has impacted them, the members of their family they've given to this country, Lord. So I pray that you bless them this weekend, bring strength, bring peace to the families and the children, the husbands and the wives who have lost someone due to war, Lord, God. I pray that we not take it lightly this weekend. And as we're grilling and we're cooking out, we not forget the reason we get to do this. The reason we get to enjoy our freedom is because these are men and women who gave their lives. Lord God, so I pray to bless, bless their families, Lord God, this week. In your precious name we pray. Amen, amen. Thank you, guys. You may be seated this morning. This morning, we are back in the book of Acts, and again, it's one of those ones that, like, if we were not, what we do at Brighton, if you're new to Brighton, or you're maybe visiting, visiting to Brighton, um, we, we, uh, we diligently pray and fast about where the Lord wants us to go, and this last one took us a while to land on, but we, we've, I finally gave in to him, and he wanted us to go to Acts, and so we've been in Acts, and today we're in Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7 is what we're going to look at today, but it's one of those ones, like, if we weren't here, I probably want priestess message right now. So that's one of the good things about what we're doing as we travel through books of the Bible at a time. But before I get to that, I want to start by, any, anybody remember, and I know some of you are old enough to remember, the Miami Dolphins, about 50 years ago, did something that no other team, NFL team has done. So 50 years ago, the Miami Dolphins had a perfect season, and they even made it through the playoffs with no loss. And even won the Super Bowl. And so undefeated season. So think about it. Every year, 30-some-odd some odd teams try for this. But in 50 years, nobody has done this. 
And it's funny, every sports person has their own opinion, like, who's the greatest of all team, all time, and that comes up a lot. But one of the 1972 uh, Dolphins put it this way. He said, perfection has a way of shutting people's mouths. So he, he kind of said it all, didn't he? And they interviewed the opposing coach, so it was the Miami, Vi- or the Miami Vikings. Miami Vice, no. Miami Dolphins were facing the Vikings at the Super Bowl. And so they asked the, the coach of the Vikings about what's going on with the stellar defense that the Miami Dolphins had. He, here's what the coach said. The opposing coach, he said, I can't really incall, recall any of their names, he said, but they are a matter of great concern to us. And so that was, that was the, here's the coolest part of the Miami Dolphins, their defense. Guess what the nickname for their defense was? You, you think some kind of imposing name, you know, is what you first think of. But their nickname for the defense was a no-name defense. That was it. Can you imagine? The no-name defense. And so what made this team so special was not the handful of superstars that it had, but it was that every, it was a dedication of every team member that was on that defense. The willingness of every one of their defensive players to execute his position with excellence for a common purpose. That's what it was. Something special happened when this group of guys came together. There was no all-stars on this team. There was no superstars. But when they all came together, they executed. Everybody played their position. What happened? You hear that? Something special happens when everybody plays their position. And that's what we saw happen with the, what some of you guys saw happen with the Miami, uh, Miami Dolphins there. But what would it be like? What would happen if some of the players on the field suddenly decided they don't want to play their position? Or maybe some of the players felt like, well, I'm not good enough to play my position. You know, so-and-so across the line, he's a lot better at this than I am. So, so maybe I don't even play my position. You'd have a disaster, wouldn't you? I mean, I guarantee you they're not winning no Super Bowl. Well, in the world of sports, positional confusion is a thing. But also, I think it happens everywhere, especially it happens in a church. This ideal of positional confusion. And, and, and the position arose in a kingdom are more varied, of course, than a, than a, more, very more crucial than a football game. But it's still the, the same thing happens. A church is full of people who are uniquely gifted for a position that God has called them to play. You are uniquely gifted to play a position in God's kingdom. Sure, we might not have no all-stars. We're not, we're not, certainly not James River. But what happens when every one of us plays our position? Something special can happen. When every person begins to play their position in the body, we're going to have a church functionally, biblically. A church that functions biblically, that's what it looks like. Everybody playing their role. Everybody playing their position. Can you imagine what we'd look like if everybody in the church was playing their position? Now, let me just get this out of the way from the bat. We're not, this is not like a, I'm not, I didn't pick this because you guys are not playing your position. Can I just say that? I just, this is where we're at in Acts, and so you're getting it, Okay. Okay, so this, this understand this. I'm not singling nobody out, but I'm saying imagine if every, because I guarantee you there's people in here not playing up to their role. I'm not calling you, I'm not, again, I'm not calling anybody out. I'm just saying there's people not playing up to their position. 
So think about it. Think about what it would look like if everybody was playing their position. Just think about what it would look like if people worked in cooperation instead of competition with one another. What would the church look like then? Now, what, what we have is a picture, what you would have is a picture of a church functioning biblically. And I think there's enough of us in here, we know what a dysfunctional church looks like, right? I mean, we know that, but what we're speaking of today is a church functioning biblically, not a perfect church. I mean, come on, you, you guys are, are smart enough to know there's not such thing as a perfect church. Definitely no such thing as a perfect pastor, but here we are. Well, we're speaking of, we're talking about a church functionally biblically. And the church we see in the picture of that, the church of Acts, we see it was a great church. I mean, a tremendous church, but it was far from perfect. It was, however, it was growing. And I think that's one of the keys to a, 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 a functionally biblically church is that it is growing. And a church that continues to grow, continues to move forward, continues to move upward, continues to move outwards, no matter what challenges it faces. And so that is, in essence, a, a church functionally, biblically. It keeps moving in God. And so let me read to you verses 1 through 7. We're going to look at that today, the whole thing. But let me just read to you so you get a picture of what we're talking about. Now, in these days, when disciples were increasing in numbers, a complaint by the Hellenistics, Hellenistics arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in a daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out among you seven men of good repute, sorry, I'll get there one of these days, full of spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, and Procolus, and Neclar, Neclar, Neclor, sorry, I get there one say, Timon, and Parmius, Nicholas, and a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great number, many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And so what we see, we see some problems happening in the church here, right? And this is, what we're getting to is what does a church look like biblically? If it's functionally, what does it look like? And I think the first thing we need to come and pull out of this story we're reading today is a church functionally biblically will be faithful and not perfect. A church functionally biblically will be faithful and not perfect. Luke gives us a glimpse, right, into the reality of everyday living in the early church. And on this occasion, the disciples are increasing in number. The church was growing. The church was exploding. Remember, we know this is a movement. This is how the early church started, as this movement, right? And it just keeps bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's very young. So it's really young, and the church is growing really fast. That's what we're seeing right here. Last count, we read in Scripture, was about 5,000 men. And the, the theologians, theologians, said we could probably estimate that really around fifteen to 20,000 people what we're talking about. That's the early church. It's just getting started. And how many knows when something good is getting started, Satan loves to disrupt this movement, doesn't he? And this is actually, this is his third attempt 
to stop this movement. Let me walk through the attempts real quickly. I won't spend a lot of time on this. But the first time, it was through, through persecution. Remember? The disciples did some miracles. They got pulled in front of the Sanhedrin. They said, you better stop. What they do? They go right back to the exact same place, right where they were caught, and they do the exact same thing. Bring them back. They end up beating them, giving them the lashes, and send them out. And through that, through the first attempt to stop this movement was persecution. Acts 4.4 said this. It said, but many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. So the first attempt, Satan didn't like this movement. He's like, all right, I'm going to squash it. I'm going to start beating them. It didn't work. It kept growing. The second attempt was deception. And he, in Acts chapter 5, we, we read the story of Ananias and Sapphira, right? How they did, tried to deceive the church. How they, It wasn't wrong. They didn't give all of it. What was wrong was they lied to God. And so they tried deception, and it didn't work. In verse 15, or 14 of Acts chapter 5, it said, Nevertheless, more and more women and, and men and women believed in the Lord, and they were added to their number. I mean, nothing's working. They try to beat them. They, they, Satan tried lying. It doesn't work. And so now he brings his third attack, which is dissension. Okay, if we can't beat them, if we can't deceive them, we're going to split them up, right? And that's what we see in our verses here. And so Acts 1 and 2, Satan actually creates a dissension within the church. Which if you've been around the church very long, you know that's, that's a powerful weapon within the church, dissension. If we can break the people up, we got a chance to win is what the enemy thinks and so when a church is rocked by internal conflict, its message is going to be lost. And the conflict and the energy is just wasted. Because think about it. If a church is with dissension, it's going to focus on itself more than it's going to focus on what's happening outside these four walls. It's going to focus on itself more than it's going to focus on the lost, winning the lost, spreading the message. But in spite of these attempts to paralyze the church ministry, it was, it was still growing. It was still blowing up, right? Church continued to serve the Lord faithfully in spite of all the obstacles Satan was putting in his place. And the Lord actually calls us to remain faithful. If you go to Revelations, I don't have those scriptures for us this morning, Chris, sorry. But Revelations, when Jesus is talking to the seven churches, what's the general theme he's telling the seven churches? Hold on, be faithful. Hold on. And be faithful. That's what he's telling us this morning. Hold on and be faithful. So uh, the biblically looking church is faithful. It's not perfect. No one of us will ever be perfect. But it's faithful. And so we're going to hold on and we're going to be faithful. The second thing, a, a church functionally, biblically, will be focused on biblical priorities. We're focused on biblical priorities. So here's the complaint, right? Things are going well. Church is exploding Church is growing, and it's starting to experience these growing pains. And Luke tells us that a complaint was filed. It rose up against the Hellenistics, the Hebrews. And what the problem was, was there's, there's two groups, right? So the, the Hebraic Jews were the people who had been born in Jerusalem and were educated there in Hebrew and, and Aramaic, Aramaic. But then they had the Grecian Jews, Okay. They were Greek-speaking believers who were born outside of Israel. And so this really, what you get a picture of here, is really the first kind of racial issue we ever see. Because you got the Greek Jews, you got the Hebrew Jews, and they were different. They spoke different languages. They probably didn't even look the same. 
And so now they're saying, hang on, they're getting more food. Our, our widows are not getting no food. That, this is happening here. And so this was the complaint. Some of them lived outside of town. The, the Hebraic Jews were probably a little bit more, more known because they were in Jerusalem. They were there. There was a bigger group of them. And so there was this, this kind of this, this tension going on. And so we know that, that, that this, this is a real issue. This is something that had to be addressed. And so what they did was they thought, okay, let's think about this, and we're going to see here biblically how they walked through this. And I think one of the important factors that we need to see just in this setting right here is, is that the body of Christ, it's never, a, it's never a us and them thing. You know, there's a lot of junk in the world today that we want to turn into us and them. Us, us versus them, us against them, right? Can I just say this morning, we, we may be different in color, we may be different in culture, but we have all have the same Father if we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lord, right? There's only one culture in the body of Christ, and that's the culture of Christ. And so there's this conflict with the widows. And may I say, I just want to take a brief second here. I don't want to embarrass no one. But I am so thankful for Gina, Mr. Gina. She has a heart for our widows. She singly heads up our widows' ministry. She will, she will cry with them. She will love them. She makes time for them. I am so thankful and appreciative, Mr. Gina, of all your hard work um, serving our widows. It's not easy. It's not easy when you're talking to somebody who's lost their husband for 50 years. And so the Lord has given her great strength to deal with that. So we appreciate her very much. So that's, that's, the, that's the problem they're having here. The widows, some widows are getting neglected. So the apostles come up together and come up with the decision. This is how they're going to address the problem, right? It was a distraction. And this distraction could have taken the apostles' attention away from their primary focus, away from their job, away from their real mission. Notice what they said in Acts 6, 2. And the, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, this, this was not an attempt to sh show support, uh, support, um, superiority over, over anybody by the apostles. This, don't ever read that in there. This was not that. Serving tables is not a menial task. But the church has grown, grown, grown so fast, they couldn't do everything. Can I say that one more time? <laughs> the church had grown so fast, they couldn't do everything. And so that's what they're, 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 laying, they're, they're laying out. There's two important roles. The first, the apostles want to recognize their calling, and their calling was to preach the word and to pray. Their calling was to preach the word and to pray. Can I tell you, this is a calling we don't take lightly. This is a calling you'll know if somebody's not, not in the word. They're, you'll know if they're not reading the word when they come up to speak. That's why it's so important that we have this time. You know, I get the joke all the time when I tell somebody I'm a pastor. Like, yeah, what do you do with the rest of your six days? I'm like, come on, really? Come up with a new joke there, buddy. But seriously, you, you, know, you, you do need to understand what goes in to being a minister, what, what the calling is. And this is our calling, is to pray and preach the word. That's, our, that's Pastor Mark's calling. That's, that's Pastor Mike's calling. That's Pastor Zach's calling. That's 
Pastor Clayton's calling. That is our calling. And so there, there's the, the apostles, they have their calling. And then it, it wasn't that they were more important. They were simply wanting to keep focus on what God had called them to do. God had called them to do this. They had to be focused on what they, and then there was a church call, right? And, and one thing I want to point out here is it, this is hard for me. I know this is hard for Pastor Mike. I think it's pretty, Pastor Mark. I think it's pretty easy for Pastor Mike. But we, 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 we're gifted and we can do lots of things. Like, I'm, have you heard that saying, a jack of all trades, master of none? That is me. Like, I get pretty close on plumbing, like pretty close on construction. I get pretty close on a lot of things. And so, for me, I have a serving heart. I love to jump in there. I love to get my hands dirty. I love to do this is something I'm working on getting better, is asking some of you guys, hey, I've got this. You think you can do that? I recently I asked Bruce. I don't know if Bruce is still here or not, but Bruce Pippenhagen, we got a new water filter. Pretty easy job, and we can knock that out pretty quick. But I, I asked Bruce, hey, can you do this? And some people are like, well, what do you do all day, Pastor. I'm thankful to have Bruce. He's like, yeah, sure, I can do that. I can knock that out. And what that does for me, that frees up time so I can devote myself to what God has called me to do. God has called me to preach the word. God has called me to pray. God has called me to be your shepherd. Called me to call you. Called me to, to visit you guys, to spend time with you guys. I can't do that if I'm laying tile or changing filters. Because then it was me sermon. Don't worry about it. I don't want you to be upset if I come to you and ask you to do something that I could take care of. But if it gives me an hour to free up that I could spend doing what God has called me to do, then I'm going to do what God has called me to do. This is what we're saying by positional confusion is that there's some of you who have gifts and talents that you're setting on. That we could use your help. That we need your help. Brighton is growing. We're getting visitors every week. We need more people. We need people to serve. We need people in the nursery. We need greeters out front. If you can smile, if you can't smile, we can use you out back. <laughs> right? I mean, we just, we just need, and so this is what they're getting to. The apostles aren't saying, we're superior, because I love it. This morning, I loved helping in the kitchen. I loved carrying your food to you. I love that kind of stuff. And so i got to be careful. And the apostles saying they're not above that. I'm not above that. What they're saying is they have their calling and you have your calling. The church has a calling. We recognize the church calling is not my calling. But you see what's happening here. In other words, what they're saying is not everyone has the same gift. And that's okay. When you realize this, you will not fall into the trap of comparison. Comparison. Not worry about what gifts I have, what gifts you have. I wish I, had, I wish I had Andrew's gifts. He can play almost anything he picks up. I can't play nothing. I wish I had that gift. But the point is, we all have a gift. And they're not the same, thank the Lord. It'd be great, but I, had, I hate to have a church full of Andrews. We'd just be jamming the whole time, and we wouldn't get nothing done. That's why God's gifted us with different, different talents. And what happens is when we commit ourselves to use what God has given us to serve him. 
And so the apostles knew their priority was praying, preaching, teaching, and studying the word. And they weren't going to let nothing, however pressing, distract them from these duties. And so then they come to the selection. Okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to find these folks? Who are we going to get? And there were seven names submitted for the consideration. The apostles then made the decision that they would serve and said, we will turn this responsibility over to them. He said, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to give it to you. If I ever ask you to do something, you're probably going to ask, have to come back and ask me questions. Because that's I, I, it's you, right? If I ask you to do it, I, I, I'm going to leave it in your hands. I'm not going to be picking at you. I'm not going to be checking over your shoulder. I'm just going to trust you. So that's just the way, that's the way they, they expected things to happen. We're not told specifically about the process and choosing seven, that there were some signs, and I want to walk through these signs real quick about the process, about the Holy Spirit, how it helped pick these guys. And you notice the people they chose. The priority was character over capabilities. Do you get that? Priority was character over capabilities. You know, I, I, could, I could teach you to change a water filter. That'd take me a couple hours, probably. But after that, guess what? You're, you're good to go. So that's what I'm saying. Like, it, it was the, the, the character matters more than capabilities. The capabilities can come. We can teach you. I don't think we can teach you to play drums, but I can teach you some other things. What they're saying is they, they chose character of capabilities. So first, they selected spiritual individuals, right? The apostles instructed and gathered the chosen men among you. And they were, these guys were not known for their administrative skills or expertise. These were the, first, they were the men, men who, who first most, they knew Jesus. That was like number one. They knew Jesus. They weren't known for their clerical skills, but they knew Jesus. These men were clearly saved and living for Jesus. It sounds almost redundant to say this, but first priority in any leadership is spirituality. Do you love Jesus? I mean, I want you to, even if you're, if you're changing air filters around this church, do you love Jesus? And then let's get your air filter, right? I mean, that's what we want to know. The first thing is, is, is spiritual. Do you love Jesus? Secondly, they selected sanctified men. NSV says men of good repute. Uh, King James Version says good report. And you know what sanctified is? It's sanctification. This is what I love about sanctification. Nobody's achieved it. So I'm in the same boat you're in. We're all working towards sanctification, right? When do we gain, finally achieve sanctification? When we step over into glory, right? And so for all of us, we're, 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 we're chasing sanctification. We're, we're getting closer to God. And when we get closer to God, we have more of Him. This is sanctification. The root word in, in here, what they're saying here, is the same thing said, Jesus said in verse, or chapter 1, verse 8. It says, you shall be my witnesses unto me. Witness is martyr. And so essentially, it means these were to be men who, whose lives were consistent in church and out of church. That's what they want. That's sanctification. That means you're no different as you are Sunday morning than Monday morning at work. That means you're chasing sanctification. That means you're going to look the same in worship practice as you are on Friday night. You're going to look the same. That's what sanctification is. That's what they're looking for. Okay, You had to be spiritual. You had to be chasing sanctification. Last qualification, you had to be spirit-filled. You had to be full of the spirit. And here's the best illustration I get you to be full of the Spirit. 
Imagine you're driving down the road, right? Driving down the road of life. You come to the intersection, and Jesus is standing there. You're like, yeah, I'll give Jesus a ride. So you pull up. You open the back door. Jesus won't get in the car. Okay, so you open the passenger door. Jesus won't get in the car. And then it finally dawns, dawns on you. He wants to drive the car. That's life full of the Spirit, where the Spirit is driving the car, where you're, you're following the guidance of that still small voice, right? Because we like to drive. Come on, every one of us like to drive. You go on a road trip, you're like, I'll take my car because I can drive, right? We like that. We like the ownership. We like that. And we like control. We're talking about being filled, walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. You're giving up control. You're giving up your time. Let me just tell you, the Holy Spirit may whisper to you at the most inconvenient time. you got something to place to be, and the Holy Spirit says, hey, why don't you go talk to that person? And you're like, oh, but I'm late. The Holy Spirit says, yeah, but I want you to go talk to that person. That's, being, that's life in the Spirit. You're giving up control. That's abiding in the Spirit. The words to be filled with the Spirit, it's better translated be being filled with the Spirit. Remember we talked about it? It's, it's a constant process that you're going through. You're constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. You're constantly being baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're constantly abiding in the Holy Spirit. That's the men they were looking for. But let's get back to it. So a church that functions biblically will be faithful and not perfect. It will be focused on biblical priorities. And finally, a church that is functioning biblically will be fruitful where it's planted. The church that's functioning biblically will be fruitful where it's planted. Acts 6, 7 reads this. It says, so the word of God spread. Do you get that? Another time, Satan attacks the church, and look what the result is. At the end there, verse 7, the word of God spreads, right? It's going forth. So why did the word of God spread? Did they have better preaching? Or maybe because they finally sang the songs you like? Why did the word of God spread? It spread because the people did what they were wired to do. Do you get that? The team played as a team. There's no superstars or no standout. There's no walk-ons. Everybody played their role. Everybody played their position. And God's plan was executed because spectators became players. Come on. God's plan was executed because spectators became players. Because people got out of the sands, they got onto the fields, and they played their position. They took the abilities that God gave them and used them for eternal purpose. That's what we need today. The number of disciples increased rapidly because everybody played their part. Everyone of you in here, you have a part to play. Like, well, I'm a retired pastor. I put my 30 years there. I got my Sunday school being. Well, I got one now too. That doesn't mean you're done. That means God still has a call in your life. God can still use you. Well, I can't get out. I can't. Can you call? Can you make some phone calls for us? I know some shut-ins. Paul's telling us about calling some shut-ins. I know some people would love a phone call. Can you call? Can you write a letter? People still appreciate a handwritten letter every once in a while. Can you do that for us? We got something you can do. 
We need you to play your, your part. So what we see here in the book of Acts is souls went to heaven because believers served food. Come on, that's something I can get behind. I mean, God is amazing, isn't he? That's what ministry is about, just playing your part. It's not about what position you play. It's about are you playing the position God has called you to play? That's what it's about. And so I want to wrap this up. I want a worship team to come back up for me. So now imagine, imagine you go to a Cardinals game, okay? You go to the Cardinals game, and on the field there's nine players, right? They're running, batting, pitching. They're striving for a home run, right? So you're at this Cardinals game, and you got 25,000 people with you, closest friends, right, watching this game. I thought about doing a rules game, but I would have said you had about 10,000 people with you, so that's why I went Cardinals, so. So the Cardinals game, you got about 25,000 spectators, you know, you're, they're watching, screaming, right? And what happens when the Cardinals win? What are the chants in the stand? What are you saying? He's walking out, shouts of victory, right? We won. We won the game, right? That's what you, you yell, you go to any sporting event, that's what we've done. We won. We won the game. We're celebrating, right? But the reality is, you didn't do anything. You are part of the game. You're only a spectator. And the real winners are those that are on the field, on the bench, those who join together, use their talents under the GM to win. But you know else, like you, you if a baseball team wins the World Series, so the players get a ring, the managers get a ring, GM gets a ring. You know who else gets a ring? The water boy gets a ring. Come on. Bullpen catchers, they're just catching the ball. They get a ring. Front office, they get a ring. Medical staff, they get a ring. Ball boys, ball girls, they get a ring. Announcers, play-by-play, -play, the color guys, they get a ring. Interns, they get a ring. Groundkeepers, come on. Groundkeepers get a ring, a World Series championship ring. They get a ring. Why? Because they're still part of a team functioning in their call. Every one of them. They wouldn't be getting on the field without a groundkeeper, would they? Ball boy, ball girl's not there. Guess who has to go out the ball? The players. They're functioning as a team. And once the assembly, selected the, 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 the assembly selected the men to fulfill this task, Luke says that the apostles laid hands on them, they prayed over them, and released them to serve. We commonly refer to this first group as deacons. However, it, it's not the title they received or an office they held. It was how they functioned in ministry. They were chosen to serve others through the gifts they were operating in, Right? I mean, these men, were, they were humble servants that made it possible for the apostles to carry out their calling without hindrance. So being called, I want you to hear this morning, being called by God to serve in the kingdom encompasses far more than teaching Sunday school, serving on a board, singing the worship team, wiping off tables. Some think all those other areas are trivial. Some people, oh, that's just... I'm not really serving. That's just trivial, Pastor. Can I tell you, that couldn't be farther from the truth. Some of you think, well, I'm just serving cookies. 
well, you know what? You don't just do anything. These seven, these, these seven were just serving the widows. Because they were serving the widows, they saw the church grow and the church explode. Can I tell you this morning, Satan is dead set on keeping you from the truth about how valuable you are in God's plan. The truth is that you have an opportunity to impact eternity in ways you have not considered. You discount yourself. Why well, I'm not a speaker, I'm not a singer, I can't play instruments, so you automatically write yourself out. Well, I, I can't be used. Lies of the enemy. Lies of the enemy telling you you're not good enough to be used by God. Baloney. You can serve a cookie. Every one of you in here this morning. Pretty sure every one of you have two hands this morning. Come on. Don't fall for the lie. Don't fall for the lie of the enemy saying you can't be used. Well, I can't move around. I can't. Don't, don't fall for the lie that you cannot be used by God. Romans 12, verses 4 to 6, we see they talk about the body. Let me read you a paraphrase of this scripture real quick. It says, each of us finds our meaning and function as part of his body. But as a chopped off finger, a chopped off toe, we, couldn't, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let us just go ahead and be what we're made to be without invasion or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. Let us just go ahead and be what we're made to be. That's what I'm asking of you today. I need you to be what you're made to be. Some of you have the best smile in the world, the friendliest people I know. You need to be welcoming people. Some of you are excellent gardeners. Our landscaping, thank the Lord, has not need watered because we have plenty of rain. But it will be someday. And I won't think of it, I promise you. I don't think of those things. Not because I'm trying to hate plants. I just don't think, oh, I need a water plant. I'm not a plant person. We've got excellent garden hoses out here ready to be used. Maybe the Lord has laid a ministry in your heart. We would love to help you get started. You say, Pastor, I don't get out. I can't do much. I'll bring you paper and pencils. Can you write letters for me? I'm just telling you, I want to be the 72 Miami Dolphins. Well, people look at Brighton and they're like, how do you guys do what you do? Because I got a team who plays their part. I got a team who loves widows. I got a team that loves kids. I got a team that loves single moms. I got a team that loves teachers. I got a team that loves seniors. I got a team that likes to participate and not spectate. That's what we have at Brighton Assembly. And so I thought an appropriate way of ending our sermon this morning is we're going to take communion together. And if you're a guest with us, you do not have to be a part of Brighton to take communion. If you did not get communion, just raise your hand. We'll, we'll get one to you. But I thought this was a great way is a uh, I want us all to start at the same place this morning. 
Because I really do feel like there's some of you sitting here and you discount yourselves out. You think, I've done too much. I've gone too far. That God would not use me. I want to tell you that's a lie from the enemy. And so we're going to take communion today so we all start at the same place this morning. All foundationally, we're all at the same place. And we grow from there. No more excuses. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't. No. We're going to take communion today. We're going to start a clean slate. And we're going to grow from there. And so in this, as, as you grab your community, raise your hand if you don't have one. I promise we'll get one to you. Uh, there's a few up here or less. Appreciate you. I want to read to you this morning, Isaiah 53. It's kind of lengthy, but stick with me. It's good stuff. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shot, like a root in the dry ground. There is nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was displeased and rejected, despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with this deepest grief. We turned our back on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet never said a word. He was led like a lamb to slaughter, and as a sheep to is silent before the shears. He did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for a rebellion of many people. He had done no wrong. He had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He is put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. Because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. For he bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. I love that rendition of the Lord's way to the cross, the cross and the death. As we take communion today, would you grab the bread? Again, as we take communion, remind yourself this morning of all he went do, through for you. What this bread represents, the breaking of his body, the torture humiliation, all that he went through for you. 
After you take this, you cannot discount yourself. Because if you do discount yourself, you're dishonoring his memory. He thought so much of you. He went through all this. Don't let the enemy tell you you're something you're not. Just remember what he did for you. Let's pray over this. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray. Guys, we remember your body was broken, Lord God. We remember all that you've done for us, Lord Jesus, God. We will not forget. We will not forget, Lord God. We will not believe the lies of the enemy that we're no good, we're worthless, Lord God. But as we take this, we create, it creates boldness inside of us that you went through all that for me. You went through all that knowing the mistakes, knowing the choices I'd make, and you still did that for me. Oh, Lord, let confidence just well up inside of us this morning as we remember what you did for us. In precious name, would you take this bread with us? Hallelujah. 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 Lord, as we, Lord, as we take this blood, this grape juice this morning, we remember the blood that was shed for us. Lord, this Memorial Weekend, God, we just hearken back to what you did for us, for our freedom, our spiritual freedom we have because you gave yourself for us, Lord. We remember that. Let us never forget, never discount what you went through for us. Lord, we pray this morning. As we're remembering, Lord God, as we remember your body, we remember your blood, Lord God. Lord, if there's anyone in here that, that has not bowed their heart to you, Lord, I pray that, Lord, before we go any farther, Lord, they would ask you for forgiveness. Lord, if there's anyone in here, Father, that has not bowed their knee to you, Lord, I pray this right now, Lord, they would just simply say, Father, please forgive me. Forgive me for my choices. Forgive me for my mistakes, Lord God. Lord, I want to start a relationship with you today. I want to know you. I want you to know me, Father, I pray. God, you washed me white as snow this morning. Lord, I give my past to you. You said you're going to forgive it and you're going to forget it, Father. If there's anyone here tonight to this morning has not asked for forgiveness, pray right now. Just simply say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord, for my sins. Remember, Lord, God, remember you died so we could have that freedom. We had that forgiveness. Precious Holy Name, we pray. Would you go ahead and drink of the cup this morning? Hallelujah. Would you stand with us? Hallelujah. Lord, I pray.